The following is a presentation from New Life. For more information, visit newlife-pc.org. I will um, gladly go on record and say that this is the worst segue in history, given what Bob just said, um, to what I'm going to say now. But isn't this weather fantastic? I mean, this, this weather through the spring has just been great for me. I mean, I love the warmth. Uh, I love uh, the summertime, and this has felt like summer weather. One of the, my favorite things about the summer is getting together uh, with family uh, to enjoy food and to celebrate and uh, often to include fireworks in this on the 4th of July. I love 4th of July celebrations. It's one of my favorite times of the year. And you know, once a year in, in our country, communities gather together to celebrate the freedoms that we have as a nation on the 4th of July, a date that marks this nation's independence from English rule almost 250 years ago. And you know, it's interesting that the nation of Israel was also to have a time when it celebrated its freedom. Israel was to celebrate its freedom, its freedom from Egyptian oppression and their founding as a nation. And so very much like our 4th of July, Israel would commemorate and celebrate their freedom and deliverance at Passover. Now, I don't know how many of you are aware of this, but tonight just happens to also coincide with the Jewish celebration of Passover. That doesn't happen every year, but, but this year, um, Good Friday and the Jewish Passover being celebrated uh, on the same evening. And we read of the instructions that God gives regarding Passover in Exodus chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles tonight, you can open them to Exodus chapter 12 and follow along as I read the first 13 verses of Exodus chapter 12. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb... Then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight." And then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire. With unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. 
and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord abides forever. Passover is instituted by God himself. The Israelites don't make it up. It's instructions they receive from the Lord himself. In fact, it's so significant in the life of Israel that it reformats their entire calendar year. They are reoriented by the celebration of Passover. But there's one aspect of Passover from these verses that I want to look at and give special attention to this evening, and that's the instructions concerning the lamb, the Passover lamb. Because really what Exodus 12 is teaching us is that our delivering God provides a lamb for a sinful people. That's the truth that's being communicated here. The God who delivers provides a lamb for a sinful people at Passover. So let's first consider the necessity of this lamb. Why is there this lamb involved in the Passover celebration? Well, the threat of God's judgment looms large over the beginning chapters of Exodus. We've already read up to this point uh, when we arrive at chapter 12 of nine plagues that the Lord has emptied out upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians as judgment for their oppression of the Israelites and the harsh treatment and enslavement of them. And then, in chapter 11, we read of the most severe plague of all, as the Lord announces that all of the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, will be put to death. But but I want us to hear very carefully what the Lord announces because it's easy sometimes for us to miss it. Listen to what God says in verse 12 of the passage we just read. He says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, man and beast. He does not say, notice, that he's going to strike all of the firstborn of the Egyptians. He says he's going to strike all of the firstborn who are in the land of Egypt. And I have a question for you. Where are the Israelites? They're in the land of Egypt. They're in the land of Egypt as well. And so what the Lord is communicating at this stage to his people, the Israelites, is that they're not going to be delivered because of any merit or any righteousness in themselves because they, just like the Egyptians, rest under the judgment of God. Because the Israelites are sinners as well as the Egyptians. Romans makes this very clear when we get to the New Testament that all have sinned, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And sin, brothers and sisters, is a capital offense. That's what the Bible declares. From beginning to end, sin is a capital offense deserving death. The wages of sin is death. 
That's what Paul also says in Romans. But we, we read that all the way back in Genesis 3. In the day that you eat of that fruit from that tree, you'll die. That's the fruit of sin. Death. There's a death sentence that rests upon all sinners. And so this announcement of judgment is not just about the Egyptians. It's about the Israelites as well. But Romans also says that all die because all have sinned. So we've got to come to terms with it. This isn't just about God's just judgment resting upon the Egyptians or the Israelites. It's about you. You, by nature, are a sinner. You've rebelled against the commandments of the Lord. And you rest under the just judgment of a holy God. You don't measure up in terms of your morality, in terms of your righteousness, in terms of your purity. You fall short of the glory of God. That's what the Bible declares. You fall short of the glory. And when you're examined, you are found wanting before God. Now, we all readily admit that we're not perfect. But what's interesting is we don't think that's a problem. But it is a problem. Your imperfections, your sins are a capital offense, rendering you guilty before a just and holy God. Sin necessitates death. Either the death of the sinner or the death of a substitute. And until we're ready to grapple with the seriousness of our sin that Bob so eloquently pointed us to in the passage in Isaiah, until we're ready to grapple with that seriousness, we're never really going to hear the goodness of the good news that the gospel proclaims. And there is good news. There's good news here in Exodus chapter 12. Because not only can we begin to understand why the Lamb is necessary, but we see that God does provide a Lamb as a substitute to die in the place of His people. So there's not just the necessity of the Lamb because of God's judgment. There's the provision of the Lamb according to God's grace. As the Israelites are preparing for their last night as slaves in Egypt, God gives very specific instructions to them. They are to have a meal. I think it's interesting that the first sin in the garden also involved a meal. And now the Israelites, to commemorate their freedom from bondage, are going to have a meal. And actually, in just a little bit, we're going to enjoy a meal as well that speaks of redemption and restoration. But the Israelites are going to enjoy this meal. But what's central that, to that is the killing of the lamb. But it's a lamb that God is providing for them. He's making provisions for them. And they were given clear directions about how to select this lamb as well. The lamb is to be chosen on the 10th day, a lamb without spot or blemish. This lamb is to be perfect. It's to be a year old. It's not to be really old and, and on its way out. It's to be in, 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 the, in the spring of its life and vitality. And it is to be sacrificed at twilight on the 14th day of that month and then eaten by the families. So God in his grace and mercy and favor is providing a lamb, 
a substitute to die in the place of sinful Israelites. So like the Egyptians, Israel deserves judgment. But unlike the Egyptians, they receive the grace of God in the provision of the Lamb. Now, I notice a progression here in Scripture, too, that this isn't the first time God has provided a substitute because we read in Genesis chapter 22 when Abraham is told to sacrifice Isaac that when he's just about to do it, God provides a ram caught in the thicket to die in Isaac's place. But now there's progression when we get to the book of Exodus because in Genesis, it's a sacrifice or a substitute for a single individual, for Isaac. But now when we get to... Exodus, God provides a substitutionary sacrifice for a family. And then if we keep reading, we're actually going to begin reading of a sacrificial lamb that's provided for the nation on the Day of Atonement. We can read about that in Leviticus chapter 16. So we progress from a sacrifice for an individual to a sacrifice for a family to a sacrifice for the nation. And then if you keep reading your Bibles, you'll eventually read of a sacrifice for the world. Who is that? Who is the substitute for me? Who is the one who died in my place for my sins? Where is that lamb so that I can be relieved and redeemed from standing out of the judgment of God? Well, we don't have to wonder. John the Baptist tells us as his words are recorded in the Gospel of John, when he looks and identifies Jesus of Nazareth by saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the Lamb of God. The Passover Lamb is pointing toward him, the true Lamb without spot or blemish. So just as God provided Israel with a lamb as a substitute to die in their place, so he has provided us with a substitute, his lamb of God, Jesus Christ, to die in our place. But just as the Israelites, if there is any hope of being saved, must look to the lamb that God was providing, so must you and so must I. Look to the lamb that God has provided to find that deliverance, and that is found in Jesus and in him alone. There's one last matter to consider. God also gave specific instructions about the blood of the lamb. So let's consider that uh, for just a few moments, the blood of the lamb. In verse 7, we read that they are to take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. So God instructed the people when they killed this lamb, they weren't just to eat it. They were to take some of the blood and they were to apply this blood on the doorposts. The blood was crucial on this night so that the people could be marked by that blood and marked for life instead of death. The blood is crucial for that. And why? Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And why is that? Because, again, sin necessitates death. It necessitates the loss of blood because life is in the blood. And so it's necessary to apply to the doorposts. 
And here's, here's the purpose of that in verse 13. We read already that now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Hence, Passover. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So notice how the blood on the door frames was to be a sign for the people themselves. It was to be a sign, and we're not told explicitly why. But it seems that this blood would give the people an assurance that they had a substitute. That death would make no claim upon that house because death had already been fulfilled in that house with the slaying of the lamb and the application of the blood. And it was a sign for God as well. When God sees the blood, he would know that divine justice has already been satisfied. That there's no condemnation and no death resting upon that house where the blood has been applied. And so when the angel saw that blood, the angel would pass over. So you get this picture of, of God's just judgment and wrath coming upon sinful people. And what stands between sinful people and the judgment of God is the blood of the Lamb. Standing between, ending and satisfying that judgment so that the people can have life. And to be sure, wailing was heard in Egypt that night. Death was in Egypt that night of Passover because judgment is real. But in the homes of the covenant people whose homes were marked by blood, there was life. Death passed over them because they were under the blood. And so, like we, or like the covenant people, we are delivered from death by the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Jesus Christ. We are gathered here tonight on Good Friday as sinful people. That's why Good Friday is necessary if sinners are going to be saved. The Lamb has to be put to death. But as Pastor Bob already mentioned, the reason that we celebrate it as Good Friday is because that lamb dies in the place of those who would look to Jesus by faith. And if we're looking to him by faith, then we are marked for life. Then you're marked with the blood of Jesus and you have no fear of condemnation. Because ultimately, it's not the door frames, the, the wood on the door frames of the Israelites that would take away the sins of the people. That would ultimately be accomplished by blood that would be spilled on the wood of the cross by which the sins of the world could be forgiven. But that blood must be applied to your heart. You must apply the blood of Jesus to your heart by grace through faith. But you can have the assurance that if you are looking to Jesus by faith, then you are marked by that blood and that you have no need to fear the condemnation or judgment of God because when God looks upon you, he sees the blood of Jesus and he knows 
that divine justice has already been satisfied. You are marked for life by the blood of Jesus when you look to him by faith. In the 1800s, there's a group of pioneers that was heading westward to find a home. And they traveled relatively slowly in covered wagons that were uh, carried by oxen. And as they're going with this eager expectation out west to find a home, they were horrified by a scene that they saw on the horizon, just these billows of smoke that kept rolling up. And uh, after the course of time, they began to realize that what had happened was the grass that was in front of them had caught fire because of the dryness and the heat. And the, and the winds were pushing that fire toward them from the west to the east. And so they had crossed a river several hours before, but they didn't have time to get back and cross over to shield themselves from this fire. And so with this fire raging toward them, and with the threat of death looming large, they didn't know what they were going to do until one person suggested that they do this. Let's burn intentionally a patch of the grass behind us and then move everything we have into that burnt portion so that when these flames reach us, there won't be anything left to burn because that grass has already been burned. And so that's what they did. They burned this area of grass and they all huddled into this region. And as those fires got closer and closer, a father said to his child, child, you don't have to fear. We're standing where the fire has already been. Jesus willingly took the judgment that our sins deserved upon himself at the cross. So when final judgment comes, those who are looking to him by faith need not fear the judgment that sinners deserve because we're standing where the fire has already been. May we be found to be standing under the shadow of the cross. And may we be found covered by the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God. Let's pray. Gracious, merciful Father, We thank you for the provision of your grace in the Lamb of God, our Savior Jesus. And we sing out what wondrous, amazing, precious love is this that you have shown us. And we celebrate that on this good Friday. Amen.